0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. A church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord, in your mercies, I pray that you will meet with us this, this morning as you already have. Thank you for and the beautiful music that we've heard, and the reading of the scriptures, and entering into this season of Advent, Lord, our, our hearts do yearn for Your coming uh, to make all things new. And we know the disorder that's in our own hearts and lives, and in our families. We know the disorder that's in our world, and we know that the only antidote to that is uh, Your arrival, Your Advent. And we ask, we ask You to do it quickly. And my Lord, as we enter into these psalms together over the next few weeks, I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to what you would have to teach us uh, in in the Psalter. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Well, I thought I'd, I've not done any, anything like this before, um, I'm, I, as far as thinking about the psalms in relationship to Advent, particularly the Psalms of Ascent. I don't think I've taught the Psalms of Ascent before here at the Advent, so. We're going to dive in, and I actually think it works in a way that can be helpful. Um, but before we do that, and if you have phones or like Bibles around, um, it, it, they might they might be nice to refer to. Um, and I'm in Psalm 120 today, and we're going to. My goal is to do. This isn't going to happen, but my goal is to do Psalm uh, 120, uh, 121, uh, and 122. Uh, that's my goal, and we'll and we'll do them very quickly. And if you notice b- about Psalm 120, your Psalm 120 comes right after Psalm 119, which is the largest of all the psalms. And those of you who've done any psalm study before, you, you'll know that Psalm 119, I, I have a commentary on my shelf by a Puritan named Thomas, um, not Thomas Merton, that was the Trappist monk. Uh, um, oh, who is it? Hey. Not Thomas More. I, I, don't, I try not to read the Catholics. Uh, I'm joking. I, I, don't, I, would, I would read him too. Uh, uh, no, it's uh, anyway. I can't remember his last it, name. But it's a three-volume commentary on Psalm 119. I mean, these Puritans knew how to squeeze a lot out of a Bible verse. Um, and if you know something about Psalm 119, I mean, Psalm 119 is shaped in, in an acrostic pattern. Um, so uh, it, it moves from the first Hebrew letter. It's actually very beautiful when you look at it in the Hebrew. The first, the first um, stanza of Psalm 119 all begins with Aleph, which is basically kind of our A. That's not quite true, but it begins with Aleph and then goes all the way to Tav, which is basically our Z. So it's Aleph to Tav. Which is doing a lot. Number one, that's aesthetically pleasing. And number two, it's telling us something about the totality of existence finding itself within the framework of Psalm 119. All all of life, from the A, to put it in our terms, from A to Z, right? From the beginning to the end. Alpha, Omega, Aleph to Tav. All of life sort of centers around the frame of what Psalm 119 presents, which is what? Life under the goodness and the grace of the word of god thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path so god's god's word so that's psalm 119 and right after psalm 119 we enter into this collection known as the psalms of ascent now these psalms of ascent and there's 15 of them so you if you look if you have bibles it's like psalm 120 all the way uh, to psalm uh, 134 that's the last one uh, these psalms of ascent were most likely a collection of psalms um, before they were put together in their location in the Psalter. Um, and that, that begs a question that I find interesting, and I, 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 could, I don't want to trace it too far, um, but the Psalter, the book of Psalms, has been shaped in a particular way. Um, we, we see, for example, that if you kind of look into the psalms, you'll find little collections of psalms uh, that are already present kind of on their way to this larger 150 psalm collection. So earlier in the book of Psalms you have what, what some have called the Elohistic Psalter. Mainly you have psalms that um, refer to God as Elohim all the way through and they're kind of collected together in a particularly identifiable way. Um, the last uh, 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 verse of Psalm chapter 22—I uh, should not say Psalm 22—says this: "The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, have ended." And then you go to Psalm 73, and you think, you know, Houston, we've got a problem because all I have to do is flip a few pages, and I have more Davidic psalms. So what's what's going on there? I'll come back to that. But it's quite likely that at some point in time, Psalm 72 ended a collection of Davidic psalms. Right? And then, uh, so, so how do we get the Psalms in the way in which we get them? Well, frankly, we don't know the answer to that. We don't know how the book of Psalms was shaped. Rabbinic tradition argues that it was Ezra, um, on the far side of the exile. Ezra was a scribe. He was a teacher and preacher of the law. So the, the rabbinic tradition saw Ezra as the one that shaped the Psalter. Whoever did it, though, did shape the Psalter in such a way that's, that I think is interesting. Now, I've done this before with some of you all. Um, but you know that the book of Psalms is, 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 is shaped into how many books? Have you noticed this before in your Bibles, right? It's, it's shaped into a five-book structure. So if you look at Psalms 1 through 41, you have book 1. If you look at uh, Psalm 42 to 72, you have book 2. And by the way, 72, Psalm 72 ends the second book of the Psalms. And it ends with that verse, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, have ended. And then you move into book three, which starts with Psalm 73. Now, I won't make an argument for this. I'm just going to assert it. But I'm I'm pretty convinced that Psalm 73 functions as kind of a, I don't know how I want to say it, maybe a hinge around which the whole of the Psalter moves backward and forward. Psalm 73 is a central psalm. To the shaping of the book of psalms in the way in which we have it right so you have book three which enters us into i would say probably some of the darker aspects of the book of psalms uh, you all know lament psalms for example um uh kind of taking a step back the book of psalms in hebrew is titled tehillim which means praises but if we were to do a kind of quantitative analysis of the Psalter, we'd find more lament psalms than any other kind. That's interesting, I think. A book that's shaped by praises um, has a lot of space, more space, by the way, than any other kind of psalm for for lament, um, for disorientation in our life before God. We're going we're gonna to come back to that with these uh, psalms of ascent. So here you move into Psalm 73, and you know this about psalms of lament. All of them end in praise. Right, they'll they'll start with a, a complaint. Um, here's, here, I'll give you a, a gentle a psalm of, of lament. You know, Lord, you know, um, <laughs> my tomatoes didn't do right. You know, or something. Like, I don't know what it would be. Um, and so uh, that's too silly. I won't do that. Um, but you have some sort of complaint before the for the Lord that then leads into a motif, and the motif tends to be something like this: If if you if you don't save me from this circumstance, then X, Y, or Z. I won't be able to praise you. Your enemies will mock you. So you have that kind of... So you have the complaint, then to a motif, and then... And this is kind of fun that you see it because it's represented in all of our English translations, and, and it comes right out of the Hebrew in a way that's very direct. You move from complaint, namely disorientation, to these motifs where the, where the psalmist begins to leverage his complaint with God... Two and all of this, all of these movements are identified in, in English by our three-letter disjunctive uh, particle, but. But right. Um, so you move from complaint to motifs to then what? Reassurance or back to orientation again. So um, you've hurt me, you've wounded me. If you don't come to, to to relieve me from my angst, I will not be able to praise you. To but. I have trusted in your unfailing love. That's that's a standard form of how these lament psalms function. And there's only one psalm in the whole of the Psalter that does not end in praise that's a lament psalm. And guess what book it happens to be in? Book 3, right? And it's Psalm 88, um, some of you may know Psalm 88. I, I, was, I don't know if I was going through a particularly dyspeptic period during my seminary days, but I, I, wrote, I remember writing a seminary paper on Psalm 88. Um, this is how Psalm 88 ends. It's, it's a great sort of pick-me-up if you're looking for beach reading. Um, and, and the darkness was my closest friend, period like, well, that's not great. Um, But then you go to Psalm 89, which then moves into a psalm of assurance. So even the way that Psalm 88 is paired to Psalm 89, something's going on in that particular interlocution between those two psalms. Why am I saying all this? I'm saying all this because there's a movement. There's a kind of pattern, a structure to the psalms. Not all of them fit into this. You have to kind of be careful about forcing this particular paradigm onto the Psalter. But there's a movement from a hope in the Davidic promises, books one and two of the Psalter into the disorientation of what happens when the Davidic promises seem to go off the rail. Think think about this now. Book 2 ends, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, have ended. That's now not a historical claim about the book of Psalms. That's a theological claim in the Psalter. David's Psalms seems to have come to an end. And now we move into Psalm 73 and onward. That tends to emphasize the the disorientation of that. That was at the core of the sermon that we heard today from from Matt Schneider. Um, What about this Davidic promise? What about this promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that there would always be a Davidic heir on the throne of of Judah and Jerusalem? What about that promise? Well, book 3 of the Psalter brings you into the disorientation of that. And then you move into book 4 of the Psalter which are Psalms um, 90 through 106, I believe, is, is book 4 of the Psalter. And now we enter into what some who've, I think I've learned a lot from them on this whole shaping of the Psalter, some would argue is at the editorial center of the Psalms. So you have Psalm 73 that kind of functions as the hinge around the whole of the, which the whole of the Psalter moves. And then you move to Psalms 96 to 100. And in those psalms, the emphasis is on the fact that the Lord himself is king. I mean, despite the fact that you've, you sense the failure and the frustration of the Davidic hope, Yahweh is king. The Lord is king. Um, psalm 100, which is a great Thanksgiving psalm, but that's a royal psalm. That's a kingly I mean, think about this language that many of you have known from your childhood. Um, o, o come into his gates with thanksgiving, into his what? His courts with praise. That that that's the royal court. We're coming into King Yahweh's court, King Jehovah's court, to give Him praise, and that's where Psalm 100 moves. And that's that's again sort of building off of this movement and the canonical shaping of the Psalter. And this is what sort of dawned on me. I, I, I haven't taught this before, even even at Beeson, but preparing for this this morning was thinking about the canonical location of these Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent are located in Book 5 of the Psalter. And some of you might feel this. Right? You, you know the way in which the Psalms move. right? Even, even apart from maybe a knowledge of this five-book structure, you move into Book 5 of the Psalter, and all of a sudden, before you know it, it turns into you know, um, some people's wor- you know, worst worshiping nightmare. Um you know, people are really excited about the Lord. Um, they're clashing cymbals and they're praising, and there's you know the sound of the trumpet. And and that's where you move in the Psalter as you move forward to the end to unending and unceasing praise. So the whole Psalter moves you through the sort of the, the reality of life lived before God in all of its disorientation, but the book of the Psalms as it's shaped in its 150 book structure is moving you toward one place just like most of the Lament Psalms move you along the way, namely to a life of unending praise. So if I can sort of use big th- theological terminology here, the Psalter is eschatological in its shape. The Psalter is moving you toward the future and giving you a view of what life looks like now and what life will look like in the future when we are removed, I guess one could say, from the burdens of life that are, again, sort of weighed down by the realities of sin as we move into a life of unceasing praise. So this sort of struck me, uh, preparing for today, these Psalms of Ascent are located in the fifth book of the Psalms, And if you notice, and I, I just thought this was interesting, the last psalm of ascent is Psalm 134. You can see a kind of soft transition that's going on here. Psalm 134, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift your hands to the holy place. This is temple talk. And bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. That's the last psalm of ascent. And then you move into Psalm 135. And listen to how Psalm 135 begins. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord. Listen to how Psalm 136, the next psalm, begins. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And as you move forward in here, and there's some trickiness as you move along, but as you move forward, you know that you get to these Hallelujah Psalms at the end of the book of Psalms, and it's as if the Psalms of Ascent are positioned right where they are in the book of Psalms to prepare you as a pilgrim um, for where your life is moving toward. I think that's what's crucial. the, The structure of the book of Psalms is structured in such a way that these Psalms of Ascent are preparing you for where your pilgrim journey will make its end. Where are we going? We're going toward unending, unceasing, praise. Because at the heart of the whole book of Psalms is this notion, and I think it's quite true. To live is to praise, and to praise is to live. Our existence, our our mode of being, through all the complicated nature of our existence, the mode of being at its core from a psalter-shaped existence is to live is to praise, and to praise is to live. All of life moves toward that Particular telos or end, namely the praise and the worship of our God. All right? So, with that said, let's go back to the beginning of the Psalms of Ascent in Psalm 120. You want to ask any questions about that? That was a, that was a, you a lot of curveballs there, but oh, you can handle it. Um, all right, so Psalms of Ascent. You notice that all, all of these Psalms begin Song of Ascent. Ascent, and interestingly enough, the Hebrew term is in the plural. Songs of ascents, or ascendings, which I like that. I mean, there's a lot of debate about what that actually means grammatically, but I I think, and I'm going to make an argument for this here, I think these Psalms of Ascent are ready-made for multiple pilgrim situations. Because the question, I think, that naturally arises is, ascending to what? If this is the collection of psalms that were meant to be sung in ascent to something, I think the question is, well, what are we ascending to? Okay, So let me give you some options on this from the history of interpretation. Here's a few. Number one, um, the early rabbis argued on the basis of the book of Ezekiel um, that there are 15 steps that move you up to the temple. There are 15 songs of ascent. So the early rabbis understood that these psalms of ascent were psalms that were ready made for each step as you made your way up the 15 steps into the temple court. That was how the rabbis understood it. Um, There's a reading in the book of Ezra, chapter 7, verse 15, where the term ascent is used, the same term that's used here, that's used in reference to the return from Babylon to Jerusalem after the exile. And you know from a Bible perspective, Old Testament perspective, that the exile, Judas being exiled to to, um, Babylon, is, is central to the larger theological concerns of the Old Testament. In fact... As you move from the book of Deuteronomy into the book of Samuel and Kings, Deuteronomy sets up for you this really ignoble history that you find in the book of Samuel, and especially in the book of Kings. And where does it end in the book of Kings? Namely, with the, the, the destruction of Jerusalem, moving into the exile in Babylon. So the, the Babylonian exile is central to the theological telling of Israel's history. That's why, for example, Bible scholars to this day tend to date biblical texts based on these particular terms, pre-exile, exile, post-exile, and what you find sort of common to all three of those is all of these are in reference to obviously the, the exile. So Ezra 7.15 talks about return from exile as a going up going back to Jerusalem, going back to the temple. So some have argued that the Psalms of Ascent were the psalms that were meant to be sung along the way in the return from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Right? And, and I've only been in... Some of you have spent a lot... How many of you have spent a lot of time in Israel? Done the Israel trip? Anybody here? Yeah, 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 that's right. It's fun, Um The... the uh, I, I've, I've been in Israel for for a day. I don't even know how that worked, but I was I w- I was on the island of Cyprus with a friend in the late 90s, and we got a cheap cruise. I got sick as a dog on the on the this cruise, but so that's cheap cruise. that went to Egypt one day, um, Jerusalem one day, and then and then back to Cyprus. I remember being on the deck of the ship with my friend. Um, and I didn't know that I got seasick yet. You know the old Mark Twain joke about getting seasick? The first 30 minutes, you're afraid you're going to die. And then the last 30, you're afraid you're not going to die. I mean that was. Um, so I'm sitting on the deck. It's night. We're leaving port there in Limassol, Cyprus. And and I this is a true story. I, I looked out on the horizon and saw this light that seemed to be shooting up and down. It was like up, down, up, down. And I remember looking at my friend saying, how can a plane move like that? That's impossible for a plane to move like that. And he looked at me kind of incredulously and he said, Mark, that's not a plane. That's a star. It was the boat, you know, going <laughs> up and down like that, right? And after that, it was over. I mean, it was over. It was bad, right? Um, so I, I've only, I've spent a lot of time in Jerusalem. It's on my bucket list to spend more time there. But I do know enough that when we land, when we ported in Joppa and we took the bus from Joppa to Jerusalem, we had to go up, right? So there, there's something to this here. Um, Philo, uh Understood, and, and by the way, there's a there's a history of this in the church's tradition that I think is in accord with Philo on this, that understands these psalms of ascent as ascent to God Himself. They become a kind of spiritual a journey map as one ascends into a deeper relationship and fellowship with God. Um, Gregory of Nyssa, uh, who wrote. Um, some orations on the Psalms, we am talking 4th century Cappadocian father, he too understood the Psalter as a whole to be moving the Christian through the sort of stages of life along the way to deeper understanding of one's union and fellowship with God um, in a kind of spiritual, mystical way. So that's, that's a large part of the tradition as well. And the one that's dominant, or the dominant theme, and, it's, and again, I, it's probably the one that I, I tend toward, Is understanding these Psalms primarily as pilgrim Psalms. These are Psalms that were sung by the worshipers in in Israel and Judah when they went to Jerusalem for whatever high holy day happened to be the day um, that they went to celebrate. Passover, Sukkot, whatever the particular festival happened to be. These were their, this was their traveling songbook that they took along the way, en route to Jerusalem, en route to the temple, uh, to praise God. So I, I, I'm I'm gonna read these Psalms in that particular way, primarily as pilgrim psalms, because the pilgrim idea actually fits every option that's been given so far. Whether it's the option that comes um, from the early rabbis, whether it comes from Ezra, whether it comes from Philo, or whether it comes from the notion that these are pilgrim psalms on the way to the temple, all of them fit within this larger frame, I guess, of pilgrim psalms. Psalms that are sung along the way to somewhere else, namely somewhere that's marked by, by worship of God in his temple. Um, I, I have the Jewish um, uh, study Bible. Do any of you have that on your shelf? It's actually really worth having. I I refer to it quite often. In in the Jewish study Bible, they said, no single reading is compelling. I'm sympathetic to this. Um, All of them have a particular voice. right? So these psalms are psalms that are on the move, uh, a sort of ready-made collection. Have any of you read Eugene Peterson's book that he gives a kind of commentary on the Psalms of Ascent? It's entitled... Um, he's borrowing from Nietzsche here, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a classic book by uh, Eugene Peterson that that I don't own. I tried to steal it from Doug Webster this week, but he he didn't have it in the office. Um, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I think that, again, gets into this kind of pilgrim uh, motif here. So why why are you saying all this? These are great Advent texts. I've Not thought of them that way before doing this class, actually. (laughs) But these texts are ready-made for Advent. They're ready-made for those who are entering into a season, like we are, that's marked by an awareness that Christ has come, and we're yearning for Him to come again. That, by the way, itself is a very psalm-like spiritual discipline. We remind ourselves, you see Psalm 77, Psalm 78, we remind ourselves of the past redemptive acts of God. For what purpose? To encourage us in the future moment, in the present moment, and to give us a secure hope for a future moment that God will do it again. We remind ourselves of what God did in the past, to encourage us in our current moment along the way, in the secure confidence and hope that God will do it again. And that's what we do in the season of Advent. It's a Psalm-like disposition of being in our spiritual existence. We remind ourselves that Jesus came into the world. Which I don't. I mean, every time we get into this season, I just kind of—it's—it's it's craziness what we believe, right? That God came into the world. I was sitting on the porch with some students. We had some students over the house Friday night, and I was sitting on the porch talking with some of them, and and somehow, what what belief system came up? Some Cookville belief system, Mormons or something, I don't know. Um, that's not very, that's not very p- diplomatic, but it's, it's Cookville. I don't know if you've heard of it. But, you know, brass plates with Angel it's, it's crazyville. Um, and, uh, and I, and I, I jokingly said, we were talking about this, I said, yeah, it's almost, it's almost like the virgin birth. you know, <laughs> uh, you know some, or, or, you know, God comes into the world in a baby and then grows up and dies and then he, re- I mean, it's, what, there, there's something to, the absurdity of what we believe that l- lends credence to the fact, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that this is the wisdom of God that's actually on display. God displays his own power and wisdom to, what the, to the human imagination and, and rational cognitive faculties can only be understood as foolishness. This is crazy that God would come in this form. So here we are in the season of Advent reminding ourselves, if I can quote Karl Barth here, of the miracle of Christmas. I mean, the virgin birth itself attests to the fact of the wonder and awe of this experience of God coming in human flesh, fully God, fully man. We remind ourselves of that. We we remind ourselves of the truth of that because in the current moment, we need to be encouraged on the basis of it and then given a future hope that's that's built on the foundation of what God has already done. That's an advent mode of being. I look back at what God has done looking forward in anticipation to the future of what he will do again. So I want to read these texts. I think they're already made for this. It's not the only way to read them. Um, but I want to read these texts over these next three weeks with you all as, as Advent texts. Okay? Okay, so can we do Psalm 120? I'll do it in two minutes. And then I'll let you go. It's the first Psalm of Ascent. Let me read it to you and then, and then I'll set us up for next week. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Now keep that somewhere, on some cerebral fold. The first psalm of ascent, the first pilgrim psalm, the first advent expression of hope, recognizes the reality of the current moment itself. I'm calling to you out of my distress. And he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? And here's the metaphors that the psalmist uses to describe a deceitful tongue. A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Verse 5. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach. Oh, this is kind of wild. That I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Now, something here—it's um, th- not. It's, this is a bit enigmatic. That Meshach is a city that's near the Caspian Sea, and Kedar is on the Arabian Peninsula somewhere. They're not related to. I mean, they're not around the corner from one another. So I sojourn in Meshach. I dwell among the tents of Kedar. That—that that doesn't seem to fit. Geographically, so what's going on here? Here's here's an option. Maybe not the only one, but it's at least an option. What you have with the reference to Meshach and Kedar is in recognition of the large space that has to be overcome in order to get to the temple. Uh, if I can put it in um, Dante's terms, you know, it's kind of you know Dante and 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 the. Uh, um, Divine Comedy begins, you know, when I was when I was a young man, I had a dream that I was walking in the woods. And then boom, 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 you're we off into this wild world. Um, Pilgrim's Progress, I had a dream one day, da da, da. And then all, on we go through this sort of long and torturous process. I think you have a sense here in Psalm 120, 20, the first Psalm of Ascent... Meshach and Kedar, that the psalmist from his moment of distress is setting out on a journey that has to be described as rather long. My kids have gotten into the Hobbit, right? So you know they're they're reading the Hobbit, and and I watched the Lord of the Ring I read I've read them and watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's just I'm sorry. I know some of you are committed stokes. I'm sorry about this. Uh, um, it's just not my favorite genre, but I watch it with my kids. You know, and these Jackson movies are just interminably long. Um, but you know we watch the and how does how does it begin? You know I I'm I want to tell you a, a tale of of adventure and journeying, right? Um, that, that's, I think that's kind of the sense you have here in Psalm 120. Out of the gate, on these, this ascent, this movement, this pilgrim journey, it's one marked by distress, and there's a lot of space that has to be overcome. This is a long journey that we're entering into. From Meshech and Kedar, near the Caspian Sea and the Arabian Peninsula, we have a long way to go. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. Shalom. I am for Shalom. I mean, do you hear the psalmist cry here? I-, I yearn for peace. Again, this is a very Adventy kind of thing. I yearn for human flourishing and wholeness. But when I speak, they, who's they? Well, whoever's not for peace, right? <laughs> they, they are for war. So Psalm 120 gets us out of the gate. Distress long journey. It has a kind of pilgrim's progress. Lord of the Rings feel. got a long journey to make all the way from Meshach and Kedar. I'm yearning for Shalom. That's the hunger that's driving me on this pilgrim journey. Bring peace. Bring Shalom. Can we put it in Christian terms? Maranatha. Come, Lord. Come quickly. Make things right. And then Psalm 121, which we'll engage next week, is the answer to this deep call of distress and desire for shalom. So where is it going to come from? I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. So Lord, as we enter into these um, these psalms of ascent in this season of Advent, let these psalms, Lord, give us. We're pilgrim journeyers in this world, Lord. Help it give us a grammar for how you want us to speak to you in our moments of distress, in our recognition that we're just somewhere along the way between the temple and Kedar or Meshach, and we need your help because we want peace, Lord. Give us a grammar for how to talk to you from these psalms, we pray, in this season of Advent. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.